Welcome to the Tactical Security Podcast. Welcome to Tactical Security, where we argue cybersecurity practices from a technical and managerial standpoint. Here's what you need to know about today's security tactics. This is episode 10 of Tactical Security, and we're going to be wrapping up this season discussing why ransomware is winning. And also, we hope to have enough time to do a recap of the main takeaways from the prior nine episodes. So season ending, season finale, and and with us today is is myself, Wolf. I'm uh, by day an advisory CISO. I'm Dave. I work in cybersecurity professionally, but you may know my work with Hack for Kids. So Dave, you know, ransomware is really fascinating to me because way back when I was a security officer in financial services and ransomware was like out there, it was on the edge, it was on the periphery, it was something that was happening to home users. Um, it was one of those things where you're like, yeah, you know, if, if people just took a couple precautions, but if your computer gets infected, it's like 10 bucks. <laughs> and so right. it wasn't really a serious threat. And it feels like, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Maybe I just wasn't uh, keeping an eye on the ball, but it feels like it went from this sort of like, you know, peripheral nuisance in the consumer space to something that is now taking down pipelines and taking down hospitals and major companies. What, what happened? What did I miss? Well, I, <laughs> I don't know what you missed. I'm not going to try and fill in that blank. But let me start with this. Ransomware has been around a long time. Uh, you know, for some reason, it just escapes me. But I know it was back in like the 1980s uh, when PCs were starting to you know, like show up in people's homes more often. There was a person, uh, last name Pops, and you can go Google the Wikipedia page and read the whole story and get the exact oh, year. Wow. Remember Pops, right? So he was sending around this um floppy disk to people and i think it was called the aids virus because it was about some kind of like survey or something to get people to fill out a form on aids but when they got to a certain point it did a very simple cipher on some of the files on the computer and then asked and then it popped up a, a page that said hey your computer's now been encrypted i mean i'm kind of paraphrasing but to get, you know, to get it unencrypted, mail, mail $10 to like this location. And it might've been like a PO box or something, but there was enough clues. Eventually the FBI caught up with the guy and, you know, and, and I guess he served some time. I'm pretty sure he served some time and I don't know how much of the money they recovered from people, but it's really kind of evolved into uh, what we have today, right? With the internet and usually the the number one vector is going through some kind of email to get them to go and click a link or open a page that you know calls back and pulls down the dropper and to eventually you know it might find its way into a part of the network where it could then go and 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 detonate and then you know encrypt all the machines or encrypt all the sensitive data like you were talking about you know taking down pipelines and meat packing companies and uh, other infrastructure you know, so what did you miss? Um, well, a lot, because a lot happened between the 80s and now, but it's just their their TTPs have evolved, right? And, and that evolution is where it's making it easier for them to turn this into such a lucrative business. I heard on some, uh, you know, webinar or something where like ransomware is like the third largest um, GNP in the world. 
I'm like, come on, is it really that big? But it kind of stands to reason. I mean, it's happening every day. It's happening all the time. And the amount of money that they're asking for is just so audacious, right? You know, from $10 to, you know, oh, let's see if they paid 10, maybe they'll pay 15, maybe they'll pay 100. Now they're asking for millions and millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, like, you know, one, one transaction can equal multiple millions of dollars, and I can see how it's a big GNP, right? Because, you know, look at some of these other businesses that we have in retail, right? They need millions of transactions to get to that point, where here one transaction would be very, very lucrative and worth their time, even if the, the attack can take them, say, you know, three months uh, of recon, and then, you know, another three months between staging and launching, and actually detonation. So if you're bringing 5 million in for six months of work, and you've got a team of 10, half a million bucks for, you know, half a year's work, it's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Not bad. Maybe, maybe when I retire, I'll go into cybercrime and deliver ransomware. <laughs> I'm saying that jokingly. So now watch when I retire, someone's going to use this in, in a court of law and they'll be like, ah, he confessed 10 years ago. Well, and I, you know, I don't want to ruin your retirement plans, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I feel that the, the lone uh, contributor doing ransomware the the guy you know sending out discs in the 1980s and collecting money from a po box or uh some of the early ransomware that i was aware of again in like around 2010 where it was you know 100 bucks here 200 bucks there on a, on a home user <clears throat> that uh that is kind of dying down right it's sort of like the people are like i'm gonna retire and be a farmer well you can definitely retire and be a farmer but all the money and all the product right now is coming from big agriculture, which is right. huge in terms of scope and scale. And, you know, I look at some of these, these ransomware outfits these days, and uh, it, it it's significantly larger. They got, you know, centers for developing the exploits. They got centers for um, doing the monetization. They've got other folks who are doing the money mo moving and, you know, it really has become much more of a, a industry than a one-man shop. Not to not to put a dampen on your retirement plans, but these days it feels like a a you know full corporation is going after you. And it is, and and it should feel that way. And and really, like I remember, um, I think it was like Paul Duck Ducklin one time said at like uh, an RSA conference was, you know, usually the definition of the of the word paranoia is the false belief that someone or something is coming after you. But with ransomware and cybersecurity, they are coming after you. You just don't know it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and again, I might've paraphrased or butchered it. So I'm sorry, I apologize, duck, but that's kind of the thing is, and, and it's gone from, you know, maybe a few individuals in their basement or something or their attic to a full on corporation where people are specialized in, UI and UX and platform support, um, bypassing any kind of um, countermeasures or compensating controls and trying to find ways in and kind of really do all that chipping away, kind of like the uh, with the little gemologist stone and Shawshank Redemption, you know, just keep picking away until you hit your goal. Eventually they will. Mm -hmm. Did I say gemologist stone? I meant gemologist hammer. 
Well, you know, you, you hit the stone against the stone. Something's got to give. Yep. On the defensive side, you know, there's a number of ways to to categorize the these cybersecurity tactics uh, and capabilities. There's a number of ways to slice and dice it. But you know, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to think about this like the um, NIST cybersecurity framework. So, you know, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. It, there are a number of different things we can do to identify our systems and protect against ransomware. Um, yet the, the criminals continue to get in. What I found interesting was, and you know, I, I don't know if we've discussed in this podcast, but I've got this, this uh, sort of like rule of thumb, which is whenever the defense gets particularly good at any one thing, rather than stopping crime that simply redirects crime upstream <laughs> to where the defense isn't. And I believe we've seen this a bit in the protect side. If systems got you know somewhat better patched, somewhat better managed, if we moved from servers in a data center to you know instances in the cloud, um, it became harder to infect and compromise the systems. So we started to see more of the supply chain attacks, right? Things right. like hitting Kaseya, things like hitting Ransom or um, SolarWinds, where suddenly you can take out one of these systems and bypass effectively all the protect controls that an organization has in place. Do you see that continuing to, to evolve? Where do you think the, the criminals are gonna go next? But that's two very distinct questions. So I'm gonna start with the um, the solution to ransomware, it, it's just not apparent to us right now. We haven't solved it. Um, what we're doing is we're using some processes and products as a way to either stop, if, if we can stop them, but it's mainly slowing them down. Because if they're determined enough, they're going to find a way in. If we, we kind of know like, all right, well, we're doing some layers of, of protection or, you know, I have the term defense in depth comes up a lot, but I like layers of protection. And, and where are you applying those layers? And, you know, everybody in a corporation or an enterprise has got a fixed budget. So how much are they going to spend versus uh, on these layers of protection versus paying the ransom? Because sometimes it might be cheaper to pay, pay the ransom until it gets to some egregious number. But it's it's implementing those, those layers of protection and making sure they're working. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about backups and a strategy could be for some organizations like, well, you know, we won't pay the ransom, but we'll just have really good backups and we'll just restore any of the servers and any of the endpoints. Well, their data should be on the server where it could get restored. So we'll just wipe the endpoint and reimage. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but you brought up a good point earlier, Wolf, if the people responsible for backup and restoration procedures are the junior people in a company. Cause when I started in it, I remember using, backup software like Cheyenne and there was others out there, but that they're, they've been bought since so I could say their name, I'm not plugging them. Um, and it was a complicated tool for somebody who was just kind of cutting their teeth on tech. So I don't really want to comment on that, but you know, there's a valid point that if you put something that's so important into someone who's still understanding the technology and the process and procedures, you're, you're inherently adding risk. So there's, there's a couple different things I, I want to suss out of that. One is when we get to backup and recovery, and, and by extension, I would also include disaster recovery uh, procedures in that. 
when we get to that side of controls, we've we've moved past protect and detect, right? We haven't stopped them from getting in. We haven't detected them and acted before the ransomware uh, you know executes. We are now faced with the decision of do I pay or do I you know recover my data? So it moves into the response and recovery side of the the NIST framework. And and you're right. There's there's a couple really interesting things about that. One is we have typically, as an industry, uh, underinvested in response and recovery. Uh, we see that in uh, like Sunyu, it's uh, got uh, has done a great deal of work about building a cybersecurity defense matrix on top of the cybersecurity framework. And uh, you know, whenever you lay out all your products, you got a lot in the protect, you got a lot in the detect, very few outside of backups and a couple other things in, in response and recover. So we don't necessarily have good technologies there to your point about the complexity, the difficulties in setting them up. And I think you're, you're spot on. We, we usually say, okay, on the IT side, hey, you're the junior guy, you drawn the short straw, you're now in charge of backups. And in much the same way, we do the exact same thing in the security team. Oh, uh, who, who's our junior analyst who knows how to write, who has some time? Oh, you, you have some time? Uh, here, re review these uh, BCDR plans and, uh, and update them in the face of a potential ransomware threat. So it's, it's fascinating to look at how um, tech debt accrues based on underinvestment and technology it's fascinating to look at how tech debt accrues based on, um, you know, on skill shortages or staffing shortages for these technologies. And it's fascinating to watch ransomware effectively as a criminal element monetize that tech debt. Yeah, and, and I think to kind of, I think we both completely agree there. I don't think we have much of an argument, but I would say uh, the takeaway for anyone listening who's like, well, okay, now what, what do I do? <laughs> It's really a matter of like assess your annual budget for ransomware specifically. How do you want to allocate it? And if a part of it could become allocated through existing tools, then great. But really should look at things like user education as well as any tool where you feel like you still have um, some kind of high risk or gap from a layer of protection standpoint. That, that could be email. Uh, you know, an email gateway, or if you're you're in the cloud with your email, make sure you got a really good email service trying to stop uh, the, the phishing attacks coming in. But some of them are really very clever. They're, you know, we've talked about it in the past. I think it was the last episode, how they um, kind of tricked you and I a little bit. I think more you though. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I think you, you also had a good story where you tricked the CEO. So, you know, give somebody a moment. Um, uh, motivation to listen to older podcasts. Were you going to say something defensively? No, go ahead. Okay, well, wait a minute. But, the, you know, the actions really are, where can you spend the most on product? And whether it's a junior person, whether it's a senior person, whoever the persons are, they all need to be at uh, nearly equivalent or a kind of minimum level of knowledge of the tool. So it's not just, hey, you're junior, you could do this. This is shit work. We're just going to dump it on you, but you're excited to be learning anyway until you realize it's shit work. Um, <laughs> Cause that's kind of what my career path was like. Now, when you have these tools, right? Think about like how many times a year are you also going to get hit by ransomware and what you think would be the average cost. If it's going to be $50,000, 
and you want to spend a half a million in tools, maybe, you know, you have another decision to take, you know, like, you know, you look at it differently, but if you think it's going to be a million dollar ransom, right. And, and you're going to only spend a quarter of a million on tools, you need to spend that quarter of a million, right. You need to get it done. You can't delay these projects. It is no longer a matter of if you will get hit by ransomware, it is a matter of when, which is why the title of this podcast is ransomware ran somewhere, right? Um, because it's going to happen. Uh, one of the, um, uh, and you also asked me before, what, what's the future of ransomware? Kind of hard yeah. to predict, right? Kind of hard to predict, but I could tell you what uh, myself and my colleagues are seeing with some of our enterprise customers. Uh, th this kind of came up about a, a week or so ago where DDoS attacks are preludes to a ransomware attack. So DDoS attacks alone, uh, are, you know, there's a revenue impact, right? If, especially if you've got a e-commerce front end, which a lot of organizations are trying to do. But if your, your website's more of a marketing and maybe sometime lead generation, okay, not such a, an impact. But if you have a storefront and you're hit with a DDoS, yeah, every, every minute is revenue. So these ransomware cyber criminals are either doing a DDoS and then dropping or detonating the ransomware because they already got a foothold. They're already in. Now what they're doing is they're distracting you or, you know, not you, but, you know, the, 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 the victims are being distracted with this DDoS. Oh, we got to get the site up or DNS is not working, whatever it is. Now they have ransomware detonating in their environment. So while they're looking to the left, it's the classic magician's um, trick of um, distraction, right? Uh, you're looking over here, but the ball is really in their other hand, in their other pocket, and they're kind of hiding it. Now the ransomware detonates, and then you realize, oh, crap, we're getting hit with ransomware, but you have limited resources. You're fighting one fire, and now you've got another fire. And they know this, where, um, you know, the other, the other and that, that's just kind of the tactic, that one tactic that I've heard. The other one is customers have been threatened with a DDoS and responded with, it's not going to happen. And then it does happen, and then they get hit with a, hit with a ransomware. So it's kind of, you know, choose, choose your, choose your item, you choose your adventure, you know, how do you want, um, how do you want to pay the ransomware? How do you want to avoid it? But the, these attacks will just continue to evolve. And, and now they're combination attacks. And we've seen this before in things like spam, right? First it was spam marketing, trying to get money from you. Oh, we could deliver some malware. So it's a hybrid attack. And, and now, you know, then phishing and then so on and so forth. So it's hard to predict. I'm sure somebody can get on the podcast one day as a guest and say, oh, I know exactly where it's going. And, and they could be completely right or wrong. But I think it's just a matter of keeping an eye on what's happening in the security blogs. And this is advice to the listeners. Keep an eye on what's happening in the security blogs to just see what's happening in the industry. So for example, Casilla, you mentioned that name before, Casilla. They, I just saw a blog article that they now have the algorithm for the key generation, but they don't have any of the keys. All right, well, what does that mean for the blue teams and the defensive folks? That you could pro probably get the key from somewhere or you could build a rainbow table, but then how do you interface with the actual ransomware? You're not gonna take 16 million keys and manually type them all into your machines until you get a hit. Because a lot of the times after three to five days, it's too late. You've, you've lost your opportunity to get the key from them you might still have the interface that says enter the key, but do you want to sit there? And how long? Are you going to write code and make it work? 
who's going to figure that out? So there's a lot going on, but I think we still have a lot to learn. We definitely do. And I think that's a good uh, recap. I'd also add in as we continue to evolve and improve um, our patching, our hardening, uh, reducing our attack surface, doing better with privilege access management and these privilege, all the, all the you know, security fundamentals on the protection side. Um, we need to, once we get that underway and strong and secure, we definitely also need to look at our supply chain, our backup software, our monitoring software, our management software, um, because we're already starting to see, as mentioned earlier, this becoming a, a evolving and growing uh, vector for delivering this uh, this type of attack. Yeah, a healthy level of cybersecurity paranoia and assume that anything can be attacked. Anything. Oh, it's air gapped. It's safe. Well, there are people that could go to those machines, right? Yeah. So that you know, that's the delivery mechanism. That's the vector. So yeah, um, I, I think we've we've kind of really beat that one to the. So where do you think ransomware fits within the context of the season, right? So we've, we've had 10 episodes. We've we launched this podcast. We've talked about a lot of different things, um, you know, starting off on like say episode two, where we talked about consumer versus enterprise security or, or process versus product. Um, do, do you have any uh, ways of pulling out lessons from past episodes that would apply to ransomware here? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I would say almost every single one of them in, in one facet or another does apply. You know, we could have came right out of the gate with ransomware, right? Big problem, expensive problem, even if it's a, you know, an expensive solutions to deploy. But we kind of really looked at building foundational knowledge, even from that very first episode. Am I secure, right? If you're dealing with ransomware, you ask yourself, am I secure? Where am I not secure? Where do we feel like we have a 99% certainty of being secure and maybe we should drop that down by 10% or bring in the pen testers to really, you know, let us know if we are secure in that area. So, you know, any, anything from really like episode two on, and also, you know, when you, you kind of go look at these past episodes, it was really important for us in episode three to really kind of delineate between InfoSec and CyberSec. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, Absolutely. And so when we're thinking about it in terms of, you know, the, the, the broad context of uh, InfoSec and the focus on data information, whereas cybersecurity, we're saying was more the, the tactical arm of that. And there's people who argue the, the flip way. <laughs> so it's an interesting debate. Well, and kind of let's go back to backups, right? We usually put backups in the hands of IT, but mm -hmm. that's also an InfoSec concept of business continuity planning, right? You said BCDR, right? And disaster recovery. So that is really to me, InfoSec protecting against a cyber threat. So there are, there are a lot of these juxtapositions, but if an organization, if they need to do this and really say, okay, well, these are cybersecurity responsibilities, anything going between um, the, the, you know, whatever is internet facing and that could potentially touch an endpoint that is coming from the internet or going out to the internet, that's cybersecurity. But any of the other practices around that, um, uh, like data classification, data you know, reclassification, or just maybe having a smaller footprint on the internet of, of um, exposable user information, right? Try to 
credit that, you know, you can argue that cybersecurity, but also that makes a recon a lot harder for somebody making a threat because like, they were planning an attack because if they don't know who to attack, then it's really going to slow them down a lot. And that also ties back into what we talked about in the next couple episodes, like risk management. How do you, how do you prioritize um, your efforts against the multiple different threats and how do you look at um, the, the various things that you're trying to protect against so you know where to act using it as a prioritization method, using that as a, a driver for a security program. And I know I remember, <laughs> I'm going to quote you because I thought it was great uh, where you said risk management sucks. Uh, remember <laughs> that? <laughs> I, I am not a fan of risk management uh, for, for a number of reasons. I, I may have absolutely said that it sucks. That does, that does sound like me. Well, there are sucky aspects to it, but I think the big takeaway, at least from the way I look at it, there's there's like an infosec formula. Um, your annual loss expectancy is equal to your um, single lost um, uh, kind of expectancy time, like wh whatever that cost might be, times your annual rate of occurrence, right? Your ALE, sure. SLE times ARO, where if, if you know that you're going to get hit with ransomware twice a year and you can average it out like it's a hundred thousand dollars maybe you get hit once with like you know fifty thousand dollar ransom and one it's like i don't know one hundred twenty five thousand dollar ransom you know you count you calculate your ale and that helps determine where your spend is going to be on protection so that's exactly why i think i think that's really a good example why i believe that uh risk management can let us down because <clears throat> okay that makes perfect sense in terms of textbook but uh, we already talked about how quickly ransomware went from being a very low likelihood threat to being a very high threat, right. as well as how quickly they can change change the amounts. So in in you know circa 2010, I might have done that formula and went, oh well, you know, a, a ransomware is not even on my risk register. And then maybe in 2015, I went, okay, it's on my risk register, but based on the type of ransoms they're, they're charging, well, if we get hit, we could, we could easily pay you know, a few thousand dollars. Next thing you know, you've got organizations that are out because they've made decisions years ago based on those formulas that were upended when the adversaries changed their tactics, their prices, and everything else. And you just reminded me of a really good risk and ransomware story. I'm going to tell it really quick, but oh. it was um, an accountant and it was right around tax season, probably like March timeframe. And they got hit with ransomware and um, all their client data, everything that they were working on got encrypted. Oh, no. And the, they asked, the criminals asked for, I think like $3,000 or something. And the accountant was like, no problem. Paid the 3000, got the key, decrypted everything made a good backup just in case. And again, this is a sole practitioner, you know, small kind of professional business. So they don't need layers and layers of security. A good solid backup drive is what they need and keep it offline, right? So it doesn't get encrypted mm -hmm. also. And what the criminals didn't know is this person would have paid $10,000 for the key because they had $100,000 in business, you know, transacting. And, and that to them, like, that's a great example of risk. And, you know, again, risk management sucks, but the criminals didn't really know their target very well and they were just excited to get the three thousand dollars but the victim was ready to pay more because the amount of loss and, and the risk of losing those customers was a lot greater 
Oh yeah. So it's very hard I find to, to do those calculations and to, to really arrive at something meaningful. It's not that it's not important, but it, it is, you know, that the, the modeling is much more tricky and much more, uh, what's the word I'm trying to look at? An opinion versus a fact. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's difficult. But then are we gonna segue into what episodes five through seven were? Sure. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> I tend to talk a lot. I'm very excited about this episode. It's kind of like the season recap. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm so thrilled that we even made it to episode 10. Um, so in five, six, and seven, we talked about privacy and cloud security, primarily around like the different types of privacy. So first you have your, your personal privacy, anything that identifies you or anybody that you know is close to you and cares about you anything like that, that people just are giving away on social media. You know, the, we don't need to have a vaccine. Sorry, this might get a little too political, but we don't need to have a vaccine that's tracking us, you know, with the little nanites in there, because we're already doing it on our phones. We're already posting what we're doing, taking pictures with geotagging and, and putting that out there and making it world viewable. And if somebody really wants it like the government, well, they could download that photo, look at the XF data, get the GPS coordinates and already know what they, you know, get whatever information they need to know about you. So, you know, the, there's a lot of that going on and people are just selling, or should I say not selling, they're giving away something very, very um, valuable about themselves. And that information is being sold to other organizations as a way to market and profiteer, right? Um, so that was the episode five. I'm trying to think if we had any, were there any good quotes that you remember? Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of good quotes, but I, I think in terms of really laying the groundwork, that was uh, a lot of discussing what happens next, right? We take actions, we think about things and, uh, and well, let me say that differently. <laughs> we take actions without thinking about things and one of the tricky aspects about being in cybersecurity is, is the educational aspect. How do you explain um, the ramifications of putting information out there? How do you explain the ramifications of, of passwords? I unfortunately um, just had a, a, a good friend of mine who had his bank account wiped out. Um, and you know, I talk all the time about good password management, good multi-factor, all these sort of things. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever, <laughs> until until it hits you. Yep. So I, I liked those episodes, and I also liked the the following episodes where we really delved into some of the frameworks that provided a lot of the controls that or, you know organizations can use um to to combat these problems and to put in place good controls and good countermeasures and you know i have to say i just got my new uh usbc ubico key nice. and um yeah i i'm the last one i had died but um these these are great keys and again no plugs or kickbacks here and i'm using that for 2fa especially into any cloud services um i just got to go and i just got it yesterday so i need to go through and repair and like like repair is like p-a-i-r not sure r-e-p-a-i i don't know how to spell but i gotta go and pair up the keys with the services um and get rid of the old keys because you know it broke why how i have it in there but you're right and there's great advice in um episode five's podcast for people about private um 
steps or procedures and things that they can do to protect themselves. But in six, we went and kind of went and flipped it to the enterprise, right? Remember that? Oh, yeah. Because one of my one of my ongoing arguments is that it's all fine and good to put the blame on the user. Well, you shouldn't have shared that. You should have known better to do that. Yada, yada, yada. What's wrong with you? But I think um, what can be forgotten about that is there needs to be strong protections within the organization's building product to make sure that the products that we're putting out aren't easily uh, misused. Don't, uh, don't encourage excessive sharing. Um, are, are built with good threat models that take into account how people can use them to spy on people or track people or you know send a million pizzas to them and crazy stuff like that that we <laughs> see all the time on the internet. Yeah. And even like, um, you know, from that organizational privacy standpoint, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, but when, when somebody is going to start to begin their attack, right, you know, they kind of do a lot of passive stuff. What are they doing? They're going and looking stuff up about who works where, you know, or who works at the target, what their position is in the target, what their information is as far as like how to contact them, phone numbers, email, mobile number, office number, like they're getting all this information. And for an organization to really reduce that footprint, it's, it's not only going to slow down the attackers, it could even prevent them from getting any further because there's just, it's just too difficult for them to connect enough dots to break in. Um, but yeah, there's, we talked about a lot of stuff. So there's some really good advice for the folks listening on in podcast or sorry, uh, podcast seven, episode seven, but then we kind of brought it together and looked at consumer security, right? I'm sorry. That was in episode seven. We brought it together and looked at consumer privacy where it's both your personal information in the hands of an organization or an enterprise. And, and really the kind of those big takeaways, um, were really like the um, the different types of regulations that organizations have to adhere to in order to protect their customers, different Senate bills that were enacted, like in California, what is it, 1386, which is like a really um, popular one years and years ago, but it's still out there. And if anyone does any business with any customer or person that's a California resident, all that information has to be protected and they have to prove it, right? So you know, we kind of went on a lot about that. I don't think we need to go deeper, but again, folks dig in there. If uh, listen to that podcast for some great advice, but then we really segued into from um, protecting consumers and regulations to frameworks. And, and that one was attacking frameworks. And uh, I don't know, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, so one of the things that's interesting about that is you've got you've got a, a, a start of me complaining about risk management and then towards the end, me complaining about frameworks. <laughs> uh, yep. What, <laughs> a lot of it, uh, just, so with risk management, it's really easy to overcomplicate things and it's really easy to fall into a modality of doing the thing um, because it's a ritual and because it's just what we do as opposed to doing the thing for an outcome. And one of the areas that we discussed with frameworks is, hey, it's great to have all these controls. It's great to have all these building codes that you know encourage you to, to do the right thing. <clears throat> but um, one, they can lead you to doing the bare minimum. Um, and, and two, they can lead you to just going through and 
and following the framework as opposed to doing it for an outcome. Great example of this, I was just having a conversation around, again around multi-factor uh, and the organization's like, well, you know, the requirement is we do multi-factor for everything remote. I'm like, yes, absolutely. So what we're gonna do is we're going to require multi-factor to, to get into our VPN and we're just gonna, you know, do SMS for that. <laughs> like, wait a minute, you have no other remote services? Well, none we would consider in scope. Well, this was an organization that half their apps were SaaS apps. So right away, you've got to question that. And then I'm like, wait a minute, you're just doing SMS? Well, yeah, because, you know, we, we've got some uh, requirements to, to do multi-factor. So we're, we're definitely doing multi-factor and the insurance company was happy with us. Well, anyone who's looked at multi-factor or looked at SMS or been to a hacker con where they took over the cell network knows how easy it is yep. to intercept, to mess with, uh, to clone. So, you know, my, my problem with risk is what happens when you just do risk for risk's sake. And my problem with frameworks is the same. What happens when you just do frameworks for the sake of doing the bare minimum to, to meet that framework? And the other part of that episode that I actually like was the comparative of pets and cattle to frameworks where, oh yeah, you remember that? Where parts of the framework are like pets and other parts need to be more like cattle. But you gotta, an organization's really gotta identify those parts and treat them as such because if you're treating your cattle like pets, you're gonna run into issues and vice versa, right? Um, if they can identify those different sections within the framework and which ones are even valuable to them because one of the other things we talked about is like the time factoring, but also that finish line just keeps extending. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those things where you can't say, oh, yeah, we're done with this framework, because if you think you're done with the framework, you're not. You, you've missed something and, and you need to go back and always be checking and, and keeping up again with what's happening in the industry, because today you might have that finish line, but then something happens tomorrow and now you've just extended it. Which pretty much brings us full circle with what we're talking with ransomware. The minute you yeah. get the minute you get your controls in place and they're operating well, the adversaries who are making a load of money off of defrauding customers and attacking organizations, the adversaries are financially motivated to work around and that finish line um, moves, which is what makes this field so interesting. And the last part that we covered in episode nine was the phishing fails and you know, I'm always going to always remember that spearfished uh, story you told about oh, the CEO. The CEO, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for anyone. You, you know, let, let them go listen to the whole story. But if you ever want, an, um, and I guess maybe it was a really good like, kind of life lesson in, uh, you know, what a successful um, kind of oh God, you, fishing kind of pen test would look like. Um, you'd want to listen to this because it's got elements of both. You know, what, what, what's good and what's not good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't want to ruin it too much, but it's, it's a great story, great lessons learned. I don't know, was there anything else you wanted to talk about in any of the prior episodes? Well, there with fishing too. Uh, apparently I'm sensing a theme. Whatever we talk about, I just don't like. <laughs> There's truth to that. <laughs> I, I, am, I am very much against uh fishing your employees and one of the things i'll just give a shout out here and i know i mentioned it in the podcast is i am looking for stories i am looking to interview people who have moved away from fishing simulation 
uh, as a way of doing awareness training, but are finding other ways to do those types of controls. Uh, I've got uh, I've got a dream. I've got a vision. I've got a, a hope for the future, and that hope for the future includes killing the fish. Killing the fish. I just don't know. I, I love for the fish attack to go away. I just don't know if that's even going to happen. And at least unless we really radically change a lot of what we're doing with communications, right? We've, I mean, literally, how do you get rid of the fish? Get rid of email. Can we get rid of email? I don't think so. And for some, for some applications, SMTP is the API. And you're going to break a bunch of applications if we don't have SMTP. So I know we're, sorry, I know we're 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 just about out of time. But a real quick side note on that is, um, I'm I'm terrible at email. I'm not quick to respond. I'm not. I may ignore it entirely. And uh, in my last employer, we had a really great red team, and they fished a whole bunch of us. And every time the fishing simulation went out, I was safe. I was safe. You know what I was safe, Dave? Why? Because I didn't reply to that email or look into it <laughs> for like six weeks. And by then they took down the infrastructure. So I'm clicking <laughs> on the link, wondering why it's not working. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I guess that that's a positive thing. So procrastination can be good for InfoSec. Absolutely. Or, or just ignoring email. I think uh, if you want to be good at InfoSec, ignore email. You know, I really like that idea. More and more organizations internally are using Teams, but like different Teams apps, but also some some external customers could be added but it's usually you know a known smtp alias it's not something that comes from like one of these dynamically generated um uh emails right in these dga kind of domains that are just ridiculous like you know looks like hexadecimal times or base 64 but sure. that might be the trend like let's get rid of email and in order to actually, and, and I think it's great for authentication because only one person can have one email address, but ignore whatever's in your inbox unless you're trying to get into a service or an account, but then that segues into password lists. When, well, then wait, you don't even need a password. You don't need to register. You just need to go with pass, password lists um, to FA. And everything will be good. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> that covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> do, <I pay? laughs> do you need oxygen uh it was a it was a, a laughter to get to a cough there yes there was so much in 10 seasons i ran out of oxygen just going through it with you my friend <laughs> and, and we appreciate all the listeners please tell some friends you know tell two friends about the podcast if you like it hopefully we're helping uh, people who are out there that um, don't have necess don't necessarily have a security background, but have security as a part of their responsibility. Someone that's just looking to learn, or if you are junior in the industry and you're just trying to get whatever nuggets of knowledge you can from two people, you know, a couple of decades each in the industry. That's what this podcast's for. So we're hopefully you guys are you're finding that value. I don't know, Wolf. You got any final words before I do the closing? I think you hit it. This has been uh, this has been a great discussion, capping off a series of great discussions, and I'm looking forward to seeing season two. Yeah, season two. We got to start working on that someday. But this has been Tactical Security with Wolf and Dave. Uh, thanks for joining us for season one, and please join us for future episodes where we will dig into tactical tools and practices. Stay healthy, everyone. Question truth and be 